Hello and welcome to another episode of the Check Down Charlie's podcast. I'm your host Eric. As always, I'm joined by my trusty co-host Theo. What is up, Theo? Nothing, man. Just uh, four days off this Christmas season. Just enjoying myself, watching way too many sports. Yeah. Yeah. And really freaking surprised at how the Miami Dolphins upset the Las Vegas Raiders with some Fitz magic. Oh boy. What are your thoughts on that? Because like, I mean, Tua's been starting most of the game, but his stat lines don't look that impressive. I think there's like a comfort factor. The concern with him right now is can he throw outside the numbers? Hmm. And he hasn't proven that he can, but at the same time, I was listening to Kurt Warner on the broadcast and he was saying that the attempts are there. He's just not connecting. Right. I don't want to put it all on him because they've had like a variety of injuries. You know, Devontae Parker goes down. They are just not starting a consistent group at their wide receiver core. Mm-hmm. I'd still give it a few more games, but it doesn't look good in terms of him controlling the offense and stuff. You know, meanwhile, the Giants have just like their offense is completely anemic at this point which I mean fair enough you don't really have weapons per se I mean Slayton and Ingram are decent but also can't really hold on to the ball and like the jury's still out on Daniel Jones at this point but pretty sure the Giants have now been eliminated from playoff contention or no actually because the Cowboys beat the Eagles the Eagles have now been eliminated but the Giants basically need to need to win anyway either way I don't personally believe that they deserve to be in the playoffs not to say that any nfc east team this year deserves to be in the playoffs you know funny enough as we're speaking about this i think going into the future i think i'm the most confident about the new york giants Mm. because i feel like joe judge has shown enough to be confident in him as the coach of the organization for the next few years yep at least you have consistency uh with daniel jones he's never going to get too too low you know, and mm-hmm. he might be able to produce at a higher level once he gets more weapons around them. Yeah, no, I agree. And like, given the state of the team, and we'll, I guess we'll get into this a little bit more, you know, once we do do our state of the franchise. But I do agree that Joe Judge, given the pieces that he has on the team, has really mm-hmm. brought it together and, and they're at least always competitive. You know, yeah, and that's what you want to see out of a first-year head coach who's obviously taking over a team that's not loaded with talent, so to speak. But yeah, he coaches them up to a higher level than they actually are. Exactly. exactly. It's sort of like Brian Flores. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. yeah, Brian Flores being like the best-case scenario, but both Judge and Flores coming from that Belichick tree. So it's interesting yeah. to see how kind of the running theme with former Belichick assistants is that they can't really coach by themselves. But, I mean, I think Judge and Flores have really acquitted themselves very well this year. People would talk about Patricia Mm -hmm. for several coaching hiring cycles or even Josh McDaniels. There's always rumors, but it kind of seems like he's going to stay in New England for the long haul. Yeah. Flores and Joe Judge were not really talked about in that light, and it seems like it's, it's paid off for them because there was less of an expectation. Right, exactly. I would like to discuss the Giants' current day prospects. I think we should uh, delve back into the history of the New York Giants at this point, which is just before the 2007 season. So we've got... Brendan of greener pastures. Exactly. Why talk about what's going on now when we can just revisit the glory days, right? And this is what we're going to do today. Just to give context to where we were beforehand, Tom Coughlin signs a one-year deal with the Giants at the end of the 2006 season. 
amidst controversy and criticism from a star running back, Tiki Barber, you had fans chanting Fire Coughlin at the end of the season. That doesn't go away anytime soon. No, exactly. (laughs) The Giants actually had a lot riding on the 2007 season, or at least Tom Coughlin did in that sense. Defensive end Michael Strahan was holding out of training camp, mulling over the possibility of retirement. The perception of the team at the time was that it would actually need to rebuild. And even Strahan himself was quoted as saying, you just didn't see the upside at all. Tom Coughlin, as we've alluded to many times in this podcast series, was known as a tough disciplinarian. One example of this is that he would set all the clocks in the facility five minutes fast and fine players for not showing up early to meetings. He was described as a quote-unquote complete tyrant from the day he was named head coach. And according to America's Game, Michael Strahan showed up for an 8.30 meeting at 8.27 and was fined $500 by Tom Coff. So this bad habit actually never goes away. And it'll uh, partially prove to be Coughlin's downfall later on in Jacksonville when he becomes the executive. Yes, indeed. Let's just say, yeah, no, Coughlin had a penchant for, for fining players. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Eli Manning had also shown some upside in his career, but he'd also had his shares of ups and downs. This year, however, he gained his teammates' respect by sticking up for himself and coming back from an injury late week one. The initial absence timeline was four weeks, but he made it back to play the following game. And the Giants would start at the season 0-2, but would go on to win their next six games. One of these victories was the first ever game played in London, England, the Giants defeated the aforementioned Miami Dolphins by a score of 13-10. to 10. Also, Eli had gained their respect from something that we had mentioned in the previous episode, which was rebuffing Tiki Barber's comments about his leadership and leadership qualities and all that. His even-keeled demeanor kind of showed itself in that sense. Personality-wise, it seems that Eli's always had the makeup of a starting quarterback especially in New York. And I think mm-hmm. that even-keeled nature is really needed when you're in the Big Apple. Dealing with the media and dealing with the sensationalistic reactions to every game. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, it's not even the national media. It's the local media, all those freaking newspapers and stuff. <laughs> exactly. I mean, we mentioned his even-keeled demeanor. However, Eli's play was marred by inconsistency in the 2007 season. So he would throw three pick-sixes in a game and would account for 34 incomplete passes in another game against Washington, setting an NFL record for incompletions in a game. Despite all of this, Eli always played well in the fourth quarter, and the defense, led by Steve Spagnuolo, Michael Strahan, O.C. Minora, and Justin Tuck, always kept the team in the game. Many of their wins that season were by one possession. A new thunder and lightning backfield was emerging with Brandon Jacobs and rookie Ahmad Bradshaw, and Plaxico Burris emerged as a reliable wide receiver one alongside Amani Toomer who was coming back off of an injury. Tight ends Kevin Boss and Jeremy Shockey were making plays for the offense as well. Just a quick mention of Steve Spagnuolo just to kind of place him in today's NFL. He is currently the defensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs and ended up winning a Super Bowl last season as well with them. So good for him. It always seems like he's never out of a job in the NFL. Mm-hmm. He has this like reputation of just going into teams that are already semi-built or semi-there and just shoring up that side of the team. Exactly. Some of his vaunted pass rush. I mean, the Kansas City defense is kind of built on the pass rush as well. And you could see that sort of 
same philosophy in the Giants defense in that sense. As I mentioned, they'd won six games in a row. All of this ended up leading up to a clash with the undefeated New England Patriots on the final week of the season. The Giants were 10-5 and at that point and had already clinched a playoff berth as one of the NFC wildcard teams. Tom Brady was quoted as jokingly saying, I think Strahan should take the week off, because there was talk of them even resting starters because they had clinched a playoff berth at that point. Despite the Giants having no playoff implications for the game, they pushed the Patriots to the absolute brink of losing their perfect season, losing the game 38-35. to This would serve as great foreshadowing for what was to come. So yeah, at this point, if you're at all familiar with NFL history the past 10-15 years. The Patriots were in the middle of an undefeated season and this is when they had Tom Brady and Randy Moss. Was this the same year that they combined for 25 touchdowns or something like that? I don't It was sort of like Brady's breakout statistical year mm-hmm. where like he just went over the top because like for the longest time he was more considered like a game manager. They finally get a great weapon in Randy Moss and then all hell's broken loose. Their defense was really, really stout. Teddy Bruschi was in the thick of his prime, slightly towards the end of his career. Walker um, was there too. Yeah, Junior Seau. Mm-hmm. It was sort of sad to see him not win a Super Bowl, but it would have been nice for him to finish off his career. I mean, as not as player. nice as what happened, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll take it. <laughs> uh, it's sort of funny because like, whenever you look back at certain victories right you just look at like the stories within the story mm-hmm. like all the little groups that are affected it would have been nice if so-and-so got one or if this coach had gotten one and stuff but you know at the end of the day you gotta look at the bigger picture it's interesting just to think of what could have been and i think i mentioned this maybe on an earlier podcast but it's only one out of 32 teams that gets to win the super bowl every year you know more often than not as a head coach you end up a loser, quote unquote, in the eyes of fans in terms of your legacy. So, I mean, it's a lot harder than what the perception is to actually win a Super Bowl, you know? Think about last year with Andy Reid. Mm-hmm. He finally won his first Super Bowl. Exactly. And had they lost, that storyline would have just escalated more and more. Definitely. Now that they've won, they're talking about potential dynasty, especially with Mahomes signing that 10-year deal. Mm-hmm. And it looks like it could be true. I mean, the way that they're playing, although they did get lucky against uh, Atlanta. Even when they're against the ropes, they still freaking win. That's they're true. the best team this year. Yeah, definitely. As for the Giants, they made the playoffs, as I'd mentioned, 10-6 and six at that point. They would easily dispatch of Randy Barber and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the first round of the playoffs and go on to face the Dallas Cowboys in the next round. As a motivational tactic, Cowboys owner Jerry Jones had put plane tickets to the NFC Championship game on the seat of every Cowboys player before the game. The Giants naturally caught wind of this and had other ideas. When Tony Romo was picked off in the end zone to seal a 21-17 victory, Tom Coughlin said, Jerry just sent the tickets over, so we're all set. (laughs) A little bit of pettiness. Yeah, I mean... Between division rivals, a little bit of pettiness is to be expected, I would feel like. The stage was set for a matchup with the Green Bay Packers at Lambeau Field. The temperature on the day was minus 23 degrees Fahrenheit, and with wind chill, it went down to about minus 30 Fahrenheit, minus 30 and minus 34 Celsius, respectively, for our non-American listeners. 
It was a tightly contested game between both teams. Plaxico Burris had 11 catches in the game, setting a Giants playoff record at the time, and kicker Lawrence Tynes had missed two late field goals, which could have made the difference. However, the game ended up going into overtime. This would set up Tynes with another chance to win the game. He nailed a 47-yard field goal to send the Giants to the Super Bowl in a final score of 23-10. Victory in the NFC Championship game would extend the Giants' road winning streak to 10 games, entering Super Bowl 42. I think this was actually the last game played by Brett Favre because he would go on to play for New York Jets the following season. Yes, you're very right about that. In terms of like the NFL context, this would kick off the whole Brett Favre retirement saga. Will he, won't he... And at this point, Aaron Rodgers had been taken in 2006, Five. Right? 2005, Five. yeah. Mm-hmm. So you had a young Aaron Rodgers waiting in the wings and Brett Favre kind of waffling on his future with the organization. However, the Packers ultimately decided to put their foot down and not allow Favre to come back at that point. It was pretty close. They were a game away from the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And the thing I remember the most about this game is that this is what started the Tom Coughlin redness cam. Where, <laughs> where like every winter playoff game or even like late into the season, there would be a camera focused on how red Tom Coughlin's skin would get because oh of the God. cold. Oh my God. Either we should make it the thumbnail for this episode, like when we put it up on, on Instagram, is just Tom Coughlin's face during the game. But yeah, he basically looked like a tomato uh, on the yeah. sidelines. I know. From here on in, it was like every time the media would do like a primer on their playoff games, mm-hmm. one of the first like tips they would give the Giants is to just like layer him in Vaseline. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, for some reason he never wanted to wear like a scarf or anything, I guess. You know, no, it showed toughness, man. Yeah, I guess so. Red with determination. Right, exactly. Exactly. With their victory in the NFC Championship game, this would extend their road winning streak to 10 games entering Super Bowl 42. And with the Giants facing the gargantuan task of defeating the Patriots to end their quest for a perfect season, Plexico Burris predicted a 23-17 victory to the media before the game. This, of course, was Tom Coughlin's second time at a Super Bowl with the Giants as he was their wide receiver coach in 1990. And the members of the 1972 Miami Dolphins squad were anxiously awaiting to see if they would be popping champagne again this year. During the game, and I remember, you know, vividly watching this Super Bowl specifically, the defensive game plan was to get to Tom Brady early and often. This was aided by the emergence of Justin Tuck as yet another option along the defensive line. The defense never let Brady get settled and emphasized making him uncomfortable in the pocket, despite having a record-breaking offense around Brady with weapons like Randy Moss and Wes Welker that we had mentioned, the game was a defensive struggle, with the Patriots holding on to a narrow 7-3 lead entering the fourth quarter. The Giants at this point were in need of an unlikely spark on offense to get things moving. Enter David Tyree, a little-known slot receiver who was on the roster bubble entering the 2007 season. According again to America's Game, the practice before the Super Bowl was one of Tyree's worst all season. Eli Manning is quoted as saying, David Tyree had the worst practice in the history of practices at any level. I've never seen anything like it. 
However, when it mattered most, Tyree came through for the Giants. He was the receiver that ended up scoring the first touchdown for the Giants, giving them the lead at 10-7. Tom Brady did what Tom Brady does and led the Patriots to a score from Randy Moss to take the lead 14-10, giving Eli Manning a chance to win the game with two minutes on the clock. Now comes the play that everyone remembers. With a minute and 15 remaining on a third and five, Adelius Thomas comes screaming off the edge and grabs a hold of Eli's jersey. Somehow, Eli wriggles out of his grasp and buys himself time to make a throw. Despite only needing five yards for a first down, he decided to heave the ball deep down the middle of the field in the direction of Tyree and awaiting Rodney Harrison, who was a safety at the time, pretty legendary safety in his own right. NBC specialist. Yeah, exactly. You might see him on NBC now. Somehow, Tyree manages to make the catch, securing the ball with one hand against his helmet and keeping the drive alive. This would come to be the defining moment of the Super Bowl, and some would say the defining moment of Eli's career. Eli would throw the game-winning touchdown to Plaxico Burris to hand the Giants the championship and to complete the greatest upset in NFL history. Some would even call that the greatest upset in the history of sports. The undefeated season was not to be, and the Giants would go on to hoist the Lombardi Trophy once more. Eli Manning would win Super Bowl MVP, repeating the feat that was accomplished by his brother Peyton the year prior. That offseason, Tom Coughlin would sign a four-year extension with the Giants, and Michael Strahan would retire as the franchise leader in sacks. Pretty clearly, the ability of Eli Manning to be clutch in the fourth quarter and to be clutch later on in, in games really came in handy for the Giants in that sense. But I think a very underrated aspect of that game was the pressure that the Giants were able to put on Tom Brady. That's what I remember specifically, was that mostly the Patriots' offense that season was like a knife through butter. You know, eventually they would score, but they managed to get Brady off of his spot, and they managed to make him uncomfortable enough to give themselves a chance to win the game late. Same thing, like when I was watching it all those years ago, I just remember being really upset with the fact that the Patriots couldn't score any points when they were putting up so many points throughout the whole season. Right. But essentially, the Giants got the game that they wanted. They got exactly the style of game they wanted to play that day. Because mm-hmm. that essentially was the only way they were going to beat the Patriots. Right. I would agree with that. And obviously, they had enough offensive firepower of their own to keep up. It's probably something that shouldn't have happened. And the thing is, <laughs> you know, some might say the Giants kind of stood in the way of history, but it's always like a badge of honor. People holding up signs like 18 and 1. I think it's remembered just as much. Had the Patriots won, mm-hmm. I don't think it would have been talked about any differently because momentum was building to such a high point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Giants just come in and crush them. The impact is long-lasting because we still talk about that. You know, the Giants, that point in the 2000s is always looked at in great detail. That's exactly it. You would say, I mean, I mentioned earlier that this is probably seen as the defining moment of Eli Manning's career, and I would definitely agree with that. It's a defining moment in sports history, and it's a defining moment in the Giants' history as well. People still talk about it. However many years later, 13 years later, we're still talking about it. People love underdog moments, and that's the ultimate underdog moment. Yeah. I think just generally, too, when people are watching sports, they either love the underdog moment or they love to see greatness, too. Like, people tune in, watch 
LeBron James or they tune into golf and they watch Tiger Woods. And, you know, I'm sure people were tuning in to watch Tom Brady and the Patriots become like an undefeated team in their lifetimes. But you get the huge underdog element as well that was people, you know, love to see that. I remember watching the pregame and everyone, everyone picked the Patriots. <laughs> no one gave the Giants a chance. That's the thing. And just generally, I find in the NFL, using modern examples like the Jets beating the Browns and the Rams, this is on a lesser scale than the Super Bowl, but when everybody expects a game to go one way, it usually goes the other way. Well, I think that's also a consequence of franchise sports, right? Mm. Because in North America, every the emphasis is on parity. So even though a team is garbage that specific year, it's a very quick turnaround because the talent is actually there. You just talked about the Rams. Look at what they were pre-Sean McVay to the following season. It wasn't like they got drastically better on their roster. It's just that there were a few kinks that were ironed out mm -hmm. and they just shot up to the top of the table. I mean, it just goes to show how difficult it actually is to be an undefeated team. There's mm -hmm. so many things that can go right or wrong in any given week. The Patriots deserve credit for what they did, and they still you know, went undefeated in the regular season, but you can't take it away. You, you can't take it away from the Giants. You can't take it away from Eli. I mean, Michael Strahan gets to retire a Super Bowl champion, you know, and cements his legacy. It was just a really special moment. I mean, as a Giants fan, it was a super special moment that I will keep milking until the end of time because that's just really freaking cool, man. It was awesome to be. I remember watching it in my Eli Manning jersey and being so freaking pumped, man, especially when he made that throw to Tyree. That was unbelievable. How many kids in our generation have become Giants fans because of that moment? Well, exactly. And then even now, like, I know a couple of people that have been Giants fans, and I'm sure that their fandom was cemented by that moment. I'm fairly certain. At this point, Tom Coughlin earned a, a contract extension. Michael Strahan gets to ride off into the sunset. Eli has cemented his status as elite despite his inconsistent play. Things are looking up for the Giants at this point. Without Eli, right? Well, exactly. I believe in Eli and all that. But yeah, he's definitely proven his worth as a starter in the NFL at this point. The Giants are at the top of the mountain once again, heading into the 2008 season. We'll see if they can keep it up. But obviously, you know, this was considered to be the greatest upset of all time. I still believe that it is. And I'm glad that we were able to share it with you guys on, on today's episode. Thanks for listening to the Checkdown Charlie's podcast. Check us out on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, and Podbean. Don't forget to follow us at CheckDCharlie's on Twitter and at CheckdownCharlie's on Instagram. Like, comment, and subscribe on all platforms, and don't forget to leave us a review. Until next time, thanks for tuning in.